we're less than a month away from Night of Hope. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, Nerve-wracking, maybe yeah. would be a better word. Oh, You're no. I nervous th- at all? I think the word is exciting. No, no I'm, I'm ready to too. celebrate 10 years. Yeah, I am too. I think it's going to be, I think we have no idea what's about to hit us. Right. It feels, it feels like, you know, sometimes God kind of blinds you a little bit to what's coming on purpose. And so I'm excited for that. I mean, 1,650 plus people registered for Night of Hope. So that's exciting. And yeah. we're still three weeks away from tomorrow. Three weeks from tomorrow. Yeah. It seems- Sign up now. Nightofhopeokc.com. Yes, what he said. Nightofhopeokc.com. It seems like every time we sit down to meet about it, like there's just more stuff that comes out, which on the one hand, like you said, could be nerve-wracking, but it really is more exciting. It's like, yeah. wow, but we are getting so close, and there's just so much more. Speaking of exciting, I don't know when the podcast will come out, but I know we're live on Instagram now. We're live on Facebook. Um, and we have next week we have an announcement yeah. of somebody new we're adding to the lineup. That'll come out next Wednesday. Come next on. Wednesday. I- I'm excited about it. Are you with us? I am with you today. Okay. I was just, you know, it's funny. I'm just reminiscing on all of the uh, events we've done over the 10 years is what I was thinking about. And I thought to myself, it's probably really going to hit us yeah. the day, Tuesday, when we wake up for our celebration of hope that this has been 10 years yeah. of, of difficult heartbreaking, uh, incredible, uh, triumphant work that we've been able to do. For sure. And isn't it crazy though? Like it's 10 years, but one of the things that we're trying to get across, I feel is like, it's not like a series finale. Like this, we're celebrating 10 years. Now it's like, let's do 10 more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's been coming more and more as we've kind of been preparing for the vision and what's next and what's the next 10 years hold. I think we're getting more and more excited to share all that stuff soon. So that's exciting. Shockingly enough, we have a plan for the next 10 years. We do. (laughs) Got to have a plan. Got to have a vision. Vision. Yes. (laughs) Nailed it. For those of you who are just joining us, welcome back to the Hope Dealers podcast. We are so excited to be coming to you live today from Facebook and Instagram. This is a very special, very special episode. This We're going over year three in Hope is Alive's history as we lead up to our 10-year events. And year three, my friends, is when everything gets bigger and more beautiful. That's right. Because who comes along in year three but Allison Lang. Allie Lang. The Not one Lang only. At, at the, the time, time that, I wasn't uh, a Allison Lang. Vinzant. Right, it was Allison <laughs> Vinzant. And you had your own business at the time, correct? I did, yeah. And so what led to you feeling called to, you know, <laughs> to join the Hope is Alive team? Well, it was, uh, I had the pleasure of knowing Lance probably for what, six years, five or six years at that point in time. Um, and obviously uh, we were together through his addiction. And then um, when he got sober, I got to be with him when he started Hope is Alive. And I honestly never in my wildest dreams envisioned that we would ever work together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and so it wasn't on my radar at all. Right. And, uh, one morning, actually really the, God started working on my heart probably six to nine months before, um, I even talked to Lance about it, which was going to, uh, Baptist churches all over the state of Oklahoma and listening to my husband's share, not husband at the time, uh, Lance share his story and, uh, 
I was usually the only one in the front row yeah. cheering him on. That's true. He had a handkerchief that he would pull out of his back pocket to wipe his head because he would get yeah. <laughs> nervous yeah. early on. And then I would like pop out. 10 minutes before it was over and go back to the back table and sell his books. Hope is alive. Wow. They were $12. 12. I think they're still $12. Yeah, probably. (laughs) And, uh, and it was, it was really, uh, we would always have a line mainly to talk to Lance and obviously buy a book, but, um, and I would just listen to these moms and it's, you know, there's five or six of them that come up that are in uh, desperation, complete desperation. Yeah. And um, looking at Lance for the solution. And it was so incredible to watch as Lance was able to tell them, yeah, I know exactly where your son can go. In fact, I'll meet with your son. We'll get him into treatment or detox. We'll get him into treatment and then he can come live with us at Hope is Alive and his life will be radically changed. And those were always moments of excitement. Yeah. And then there would be moms that came up that were in that same desperation mode, um, oftentimes with little kids in tow. Yeah. Wow. That uh, were talking about their daughters. Mm. Grandparents raising grandkids. Grandparents raising grandkids. And they were talking about their daughters. And there was nothing that we Mm. could give them. Um, there were a few places, obviously, in the state of Oklahoma, but there was nothing doing what Hope is Live was doing, which is teaching people to live in the real world clean and sober. Yeah. And so they would go to treatment center after treatment center and then um, obviously back to um, using or drinking again. And so I think the Lord started to work on my heart, and it was a hard heart at the time. I'm not from a ministry family. Mm. I don't understand um calling on my life i didn't really grasp all of it but um then one august morning i tell this story god sucker punched me and said hey um it's time for you to envision a women's program for hope is alive yes and so i wrote this really long email and uh in fact the title of it was future it was the subject line was of the email was future future yeah i still have it and what was <laughs> going through your mind when you got that email from ali oh uh, i mean i don't even know man i mean that, that <laughs> it was, was the middle of the night right like i woke up to it and um i think honestly i, I had the thought in my spirit everything will be different from here on out right and there was a lot going on with us relationally you know we were getting back together after um, kind of a sabbatical away from each other. That's and, a good word for it. Uh, yeah. And so God was le- leading our hearts back together and in and, and, and every way. And, and this, her her calling into the ministry solidified all of that. Yeah. And I think pretty quickly I could see a vision of what this could look like. And I, I had seen how dynamic she was in the event world and, and wedding planning and incredibly creative and smart, intelligent, funny. Um, and so honestly... I thought it would be a huge get. Like, what an honor to right. be able to have somebody to come alongside that could do this. But I also knew I couldn't do any of it. I mean, it was a women's program. It needed to be woman-led, woman-ran. Um, curriculum needed to be written and programming. And so I, I pretty much said, okay, this is where the Lord's leading you, but go do it. Right? right. Go figure it he out. He said, um, I don't have any money to pay you, and you need to raise $50,000 to get the women's house started. <laughs> And I was like, wow, this is a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and 
God told me to say yes, so I did. Yeah. And um, we did some really crazy things that we, ha- I don't know if we've done since, um, just to try to raise money for this first home. Mm-hmm. And that first home turns into two homes mm-hmm. here in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Two homes, two women's homes in Tulsa, one in Wichita, one in Kansas City, one out in eastern North Carolina. Yep. I mean, my goodness, did you ever see that coming? No. I honestly never thought past the first house right. in, in the beginning. I never, I mean, I thought once once all the women moved in and it was a little chaotic, uh, I was like, well, this is my life now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to write the, the program for Hope is Alive and uh, create the curriculum and we'll have this women's house and that will be it. Little did I know that I married Lance Lang. <laughs> And so when one house got full, he said, it's time for another. And God just solidified that with incredible people to come alongside of us and provide the financial opportunity to do that. And the rest is history. Yeah, absolutely. And so just for our people out there, you know, at the time when you come in, Lance says, okay, fine, you're going to help me raise the money and you're going to oversee the women's home. But fast forward all these years later, you're the COO and you write the entire program you oversee our program team which has become a just such a killer and huge team yes um bearing so much fruit you also oversee a couple other teams from my understanding like you know our finances and i know you know if any of us (laughs) if any of us use our company card you know we get a call from ali if we don't use the correct way yes Um, or turn in your receipt at times you've overseen our media and marketing team yeah yeah love those days um (laughs) But that's just such a long way from just coming in and overseeing the women's program. Yeah. I think that goes to show you that um, at at Hope is Alive, God is going to bring out every single one of your talents. Yes. And we are going to work really hard. Yes. And that's been a part of our journey. I mean, we've had to figure it out. We've had to to hustle and to stretch every dollar and to, you know, be really responsible. And so that means we've both worn many, many, many hats. Every hat. Yeah, every hat. Uh, sometimes I look around now and I am um, setting up stuff for an event and someone's like, oh, this is my job. And I don't know what to do to get out of the way anymore. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and so I think really what it taught me is I, I know how to manage people well yes. and to bring out the best in them. I think that's a gifting that God gave me. And so just being able to do that, it doesn't really matter what team. But being a part of the media marketing team let me have my creativity. Yep. And, um, and that was really exciting for me and now I mean the the second half of hope is live I we have some very exciting things on the horizon as well I'd love to, to hear just if I could jump in Sean and ask a question you know you, you pretty quickly begin to formulate what our programming our core curriculum would really be based around and what it would center around and that's obviously grown and expanded but during those early days, what led you to writing the program the way that it is and what was sparking things inside <laughs> of you and what did you see? How did you see that impacting our, our people, residents? Oh, wow. So I come from a uh, interesting, when Lance got sober, I thought that that was my whole problem, mm. was getting Lance sober. And mm. once Lance got sober, my life, the chaos would decrease, and my life would just keep on churning the way that it had been before. Um, and I could have not been more wrong in the way that that worked out when he got healthy it actually put a spotlight on my unhealth if you will 
And so he was probably a, a year or so sober, and it, my life had really become dependent upon other people in the sense that they created my identity. Um, my control was out of control. <laughs> my perfectionism was rearing up. All of these kind of what we might call character defects um, were bubbling to the surface. And I quickly realized my life is just as out of control as his is. Mm. His his looked worse yeah. because when you have drugs and alcohol mixed in we can as a society say oh that's the problem here right and mine was people pleasing yes. or caretaking and so where i was revered as oh ali will handle it ali will take care of it and that behavior was actually glorified mm -hmm. it was leaving me uh, abandoning myself it was leaving me um, not knowing who I was, um, just kind of going, blowing with the wind. And if there wasn't a problem to fix, then what's my purpose and use and value? And so I went to, um, I decided, strangely enough, um, it's just God all the way to um, to go to treatment for codependency at a place called uh, the Bridge to Recovery in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And it changed the landscape of Hope is Alive. And I had no idea at the time, and I don't think you did either. No. Um, and so when I went through that, I came back, and that was a couple years before I joined Hope is Alive, but my recovery program was really serious, and I took a year and a half away, and I really focused on healing because I knew if I didn't, I would not have the life I wanted, which was marriage and children and a fulfilling yeah. uh, relationship with the Lord and all of that. And so um, when Lance asked, or when we decided to open our first women's home, and we looked at each other, and we kept on talking about the program. Yeah. And what we were program? like, we were like, wait, <laughs> what program? Are, are we talking about the rules of Hope is Life? Going to the movies on the weekend? Is yeah. that the program? Dinner yeah. out? Like, so at the time, that was the program. Is that, the is that program? what you're saying? Like, it, it was like the rules and. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, yeah, Sunday night meetings, yeah. hanging out, yeah. follow the rules, Go curfew, church. church, do chores on the weekends. Mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't any, there wasn't like a backbone, you know, yeah. the DNA of who we are. There wasn't a what we've come to find out, what's our theory of change? Yeah. Yep. You know, what do we believe really changes somebody's life? And I think the big question for us is if our mission statement is to radically change people's lives, then what does radical life change mean? Yep. What does it consist of? And I think all of that stew is what Allie kind of took back and began to unpack. Yes. Yeah. And so Lance is like, go write it. And so I came up with um, three phases because we really wanted people to stay for 18 months. And so six, 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 just divide that evenly. Yeah. And there you go. So it was three phases. And I, um, I brought the idea to the table of not only working the 12 steps of AA, which they had already been doing, but also to work the 12 steps of a process addiction. What is a process? I was going to say, what's that? <laughs> What is a process Cute. addiction? Great question. A process addiction can also be called an emotional addiction or a behavioral addiction. It's things like codependency, sex and love addiction, mm -hmm. control, perfectionism, gambling, gaming, eating disorders. All of those are processing based around um, trauma from yeah. our uh, childhood sometimes or adulthood. It can come in either form. Um, and when I brought this to the table, uh, there was probably a little bit of pushback to say, I don't get how it fits. I don't get how drug addicts and alcoholics have issues with people problems. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't get how they have issues with um, 
internally or with trauma. And so it was really a journey for both of us to unpack this idea, which eventually became the Hope is Live recovery model, which is uh, drugs and alcohol are a problem, but they're really a symptom of the problem. Yeah. And we have to, if we want long-term sobriety for our people that God has called us to shepherd, we have to put in really intentional work to get them back to viewing themselves as the perfect creation that God made them. Right. And if we can get them there, then we believe that um, we can ha- they can have a lifetime of sobriety in front of them. Getting them there is what the Hope is Life program mm-hmm. was written to do. Yeah, love yeah. that. And so really, and I just as an example, it's like we know that we're alcoholics and drug addicts. But we have to go back to the source and figure out what causes us to go do that. So right. if you're a codependent, it's like maybe when you're not, you know, when you're letting people rent space in your head, worrying mm-hmm. about what everybody else thinks, connecting dots that aren't there. Yes, that is something that I've had issues with. But that's something that a lot of us out there have issues with. Yeah. And a lot of the times yeah. it's like, okay, I'm just going to go cloud that with some substance mm-hmm. of any yeah. kind. Well, once the pain gets so great. Right. It, being a codependent, you can feel the pain, but there's an, there's always somebody to help. There's always somebody mm-hmm. to please. There's always some some form of control we can exert that we can get. We can feel better about ourselves. But really, drug and alcoholism is just kind of giving up on that idea that that people or uh, our emotional sobriety at all and saying, I'm just going to numb this now. Mm-hmm. The pain is so great that I just I can't even deal with it through my processing. I have to just numb it. Yes. And so it's just it's just the outer layer of what we talk about here. Yeah. Um, I think that opened up everything with who we are today. And I think not so surprisingly, the introduction of the program, the introduction of Ali, intentional staff, um, having fresh eyes to come into an addiction recovery program, having somebody that had walked through codependency and process addiction uh, treatment and all that really brought this game-changing, disrupting thought. And I say that like in honor, because honestly, I push back on almost everything. Sure. And I didn't understand it. It wasn't from <laughs> the, uh, the, the thought pro the school of thought that I had been from, which is basically big book thumping, go to meetings. Um, my whole passion is, you know, give somebody a purpose, show them to have fun in sobriety, push yourself to new levels, say yes to challenging things, um, create a life worth living, comma sober. Yeah. But all, none of that had any therapeutic or healing attributes to it and Allie had to introduce that and it all kind of meshed together to I think make a really cool culture and program but I didn't understand why we needed um, sex and love addiction meetings or what codependency was all about along with a bunch of other things that Allie introduced like live 360 and uh, <laughs> deep clean on Sunday and all of our residents were like whoa and yeah um, you know doing a daily check-in from a house manager on every single resident in our program. It still happens today. If you're watching or listening, every single resident in our program gets a check-in, which is like a paragraph written about them every single night, five days a week. So five days a week from the house manager. And so all I can read all the way down to our, our our fellow house managers. It's, it's important to know what's going on with our people. Um, you know, if God's called us to shepherd them, then we need to know what's going on all the way up. Point is, the building blocks that Allie introduced early on and continued to build upon laid the foundation for this organization to be scalable Yes, and for it to be reproducible mm-hmm. and repeatable, whatever phrase you want to use. Yeah. And God then blessed um, us with great partners mm-hmm. and momentum financially, 
a deep culture that continued to produce more life-changing leaders and um, it began to open us up to what was to come in the years ahead. And really, it also just sets us apart. This is what makes Hope is Alive not a drug test and a bed. That's right. Or a list of meetings. Or a list of meetings. Because yeah. as we talked about, I think on the last episode, Lance, it's like if getting sober is just going to meetings every day, then I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. do, you know, there's got to be there's got to be more to it. That's right. And everything Allie introduced allowed us to do that. Um, and really allowed the individual to find their true self, Yeah, uh, which is what we believe is, is what recovery is all about. Yeah. To meet Jesus up close and personal, because he really changes everything. Sure. I mean, that's the truth. 100%. Um, we just are here to be conduits to allow, uh, allow ourselves to be used to help people unpack the yeah. baggage of the world that God never meant for us to live in mm-hmm. or for us to pick up. He never meant for us to pick it up, and we do it, you know, because we're humans. And thank God that we have the opportunity um, to help people find freedom and then spend all of eternity with them. Yes. Beautiful. Because a couple months ago we baptized, last month we baptized yeah, 30, 38 of our residents, mm-hmm. and that's just, you know, one month that Hope is Alive, and it's it's been incredible to see um, what God has done. I remember when I first got the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord and I was standing behind a group of people Googling the salvation <laughs> prayer. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's just been such a journey, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. To be able to, to watch all of our people who um, have gone out and, and really altered the face of Oklahoma and every state that they're in. Not always easy. No, but no. always worth it. Yep. Yes. Yes, and the funny thing about the CODA, you know, saying that Lance was fighting back on the CODA and the SLAA, you know, I will say the one thing I've noticed, and I'm sure a lot of our other residents and staff members would agree, is like when you come in, you first hear about that, and you're like, what is that? But then you kind of start to wonder, you're like, well, when do I get to go to that? Yeah. Yeah. There's like this curiosity yeah. there, yeah. you know. It's, it's a like, deeper level of healing. I yeah. Think we all want that at some mm-hmm. level, and we push back against it because change is hard. Sure. Yeah. And doing deep work is difficult. And the truth is not a lot of people make it through that, and they get up and close and personal to their past and their trauma and their hurts and habits and hang-ups, and they run from it. Yes. Um, what Allie's created and God has blessed in this second phase of our program is the deep, tough work that ultimately sets you free Yes. Um, to live your best life, to, to have self-awareness, mm-hmm. um, to have be able to set boundaries mm-hmm. um, for yourself and for others, and it's life-changing. And so thank you for everything that you've done and how you've taken us further, faster, and made everything better and more beautiful. Thank you. Love that. So moving on from the program, the other thing I wanted to talk about that was part of year three with Hope is Alive was the creation of Finding Hope. Yeah. So, and I've got a little thing I wrote here, and I think this, you know, encompasses. So when an alcoholic or drug addict is looking for help, HIA is always happy to step in and help. The majority of the time, though, uh, it's the individual's mom or dad who is reaching out for that help, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. So this is what uh, we at Hope is Alive call the forgotten population, the parents of those that are struggling. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's great that the individual is able to get help and break free from the chains of addiction, but I will quickly refer our listeners back to the Hope is Alive mission statement to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those that love them. Yeah. Okay. Those that love them. Today, Finding Hope has over 40 free support groups across the country in two different languages. That's just crazy. Every, I time, I, every time I say it, I think there was like 15 when I started. Lance, what exactly is Finding Hope? Yeah. How was this idea birthed? Yeah. And what made you realize that there needed to be a meeting for not only the individual struggling, but for those that love them? 
Uh, some happy accidents along the way, yeah. um, you know, some God winks. But ultimately, to Ali's point, what we realized is that the majority of people that were calling us, uh, reaching out for help, messaging on Facebook or Instagram, buying my books or anything like that were, were moms <laughs> yeah. mainly. And then some other populations, spouses, maybe a dad or two, some grandparents. And so there was a couple that came into our, our lives around this time that, again, w- were able to confirm that, hey, this was a huge need for people. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, you know, Allie was coming on board. I began to write this book called Finding Hope. And so at the time, I was blogging quite a bit and speaking to this audience. Hey, what's three things to look for, for in an addicted kid? How to set boundaries, how to raise a rock bottom. I was blogging all these things that could help parents um, and spouses walk through addiction recovery with those that love them. And so I took a lot of those blogs and put them in a book, asked my parents to write a little um, closing page or two, a parent's perspective on every one of those chapters, packaged it up and called it fi- Finding Hope. And at the same time, began to roll out the first support group here in Oklahoma City at Putnam City Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, that would be a free offering. And by the way, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> or what it would be. Um, but God blessed it. And the very first night, I remember very vividly walking into the church on the phone with Allie saying, I don't know what I'm doing, um, and I don't know what how I'm going to do this. And I walked in, and there were 30 people there the first night. Wow. Um, Come on. And they – I never forget this story. There was two moms that were sitting out there, and they were crying the entire time I was talking. And I, I found out afterwards that they had been sitting next to each other on the same pew – um, in that Baptist church for years, and neither one of them had ever told each other that both of them had sons that were struggling with addiction. Oh, my. And that moment I'll never forget because it was like, here we go. There is a whole population of people that are shamed to silence, that don't know where to go, don't know what to do, and are just suffering, Yeah. not to mention the addicts on the other side of that. And so that's kind of how it began with the book and the first support group. And Allie and I, for the first several years of Finding Hope, went and taught the, every one of them together. Yeah. Sometimes she would take one and I would take the other. Um, our our weeks were very full during that season of life. She'd go to Putnam City. I'd go to Quail. She'd go to, you know, whatever it we'd might be. Divide and conquer. Yeah. We would divide, divide and, and conquer. conquer. And, and we began to put the building blocks in place of, of what would become Finding Hope. And uh, last thing I'll say on this is I remember being in a room, a Finding Hope support group, and I just felt God breathe these three phrases to me. And so I wrote them on the, on the whiteboard and it said, uh, you're not alone. It's not your fault. And there's hope. Yes. And those kind of three tenets uh, have become the mantra, the motto of finding hope support groups. And I think it speaks to, to the loved ones. I mean, you're a loved one though. So why don't you touch on what it's been like from your perspective? I uh, I love finding hope. I think that dealing with Lance not coming from a history of addiction, myself or a family history of addiction, uh, dealing with Lance through that. I mean, I sent him to a we sent him to a medical detox before thinking that was going to cure all of our problems. Right. It's just you 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 are ignorant. You don't yeah. know what to do. You don't know. And so, if someone had given me a guide and said, "Here's the five things," I would have done them. Mm-hmm. But no one out there has that ability. And so, finding hope fills the gap for people. Yes. It also, like like he said, you know, I think uh, admitting that you have a loved one, whether that be a husband or um, it's or your child, admitting that you have a loved one that has an addiction is a tough thing to do yeah it's tough to show up at that meeting sometimes um however 
the beauty of, because we internalize it, right? We, we want to find fault in ourselves for causing this. I remember yeah. yelling and screaming at Lance, like, why can't you just love me enough to stop using mm. today? Right. And so it, you internalize it and it becomes something that I've caused or, um, a, a something that he's experienced because of, of me. And ultimately finding hope takes the shame out of that. It allows us to educate people to realize it's not your fault. Right. There are a community of people here of which all are on a different end of this journey. You yeah. know, some children are clean and sober. Some uh, loved ones are still drinking and in the home with you. And so there's someone for everyone. But the most important thing is community. That's I it. think when you come together with people that are journeying through the same thing, the enemy cannot isolate you anymore. It cannot make you feel shame. He yeah. cannot make you feel shamed or alone or anything. And so you come into these rooms and and it's funny you can watch people change week after week um, as they come in and oftentimes we have residents check in because their parent went to finding hope for a week or a year however long Um, and so just learning that we can be a part of the solution no matter what our loved one is doing And isn't that the definition definition of codependency? Like yeah. no matter what somebody else is doing, we're going to be okay. And I think that's what Finding Hope teaches people. Love that. Yeah. So the homes provide community for addicts, the support groups, Finding Hope, Hope After Loss, and all the ones in the future we develop provide a community for the loved ones. And we, you know, community is a pillar of what we believe. hundred percent. And I mean, like the residents, you know, we talk about this, you know, the residents get to go do a lot of fun stuff when they're in the homes, whether it's going on the ski trip or, you know, uh, I think they just went down to the lake last weekend. There's all kinds of fun stuff, but for the finding hopers, it's more than these meetings. I mean, we've got what, two retreats a year going on for them. They go to retreats. I mean, they, they find their tribe. Yeah, exactly. It's very, very cool. And there's shared pain and there's shared struggles and, and hopefully there's shared victories. Yes. Because like we said, it's important that mission statement for finding hope, you know, or the motto rather, um, you're not alone. Yeah. And it's yeah. so easy to feel that way whenever you're a parent of someone out there struggling. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, Ali, I think for you, and I think we talked about this at the last retreat that you came and spoke at, mm-hmm. you know, you walked out and you were like, these are my people. Yeah. yeah you know? They're my <laughs> like, people. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most important things, and this is what I spoke about at the retreat is, is grieving what we thought would be. Mm-hmm. And it it was a real, uh, it took time and energy for me, you know, I mean, now that we have LA, I think about, you know, parents or teachers coming to me and saying, "Uh, LA says his daddy's a drug addict and an alcoholic, you know, like those moments, like Mm -hmm. it's just different than I thought it would be. And, and um, for us to grieve potentially what we thought our lives would be like, so that we can embrace all the good that actually is yes live in the present live in the present be grateful for this community of people of finding hopers or residents or whomever that we do get to do life with um because it is uh when you experience hope is alive whether it be finding hope or through the program or a volunteer or whatever you get a different viewpoint of life it's real it's authentic it's honest it's accountability it's all of those things that we actually crave in our lives but but it just gets to be under the banner of sobriety yes love that so much well it was a good year big year i was gonna say yeah year three big year <laughs> like, um, what's coming in year four 
Ooh. Year four. What is coming in year four, Lance? I don't know. Stay tuned. Find yeah, out. stay yeah. tuned. Um, before we go, I just want to remind everybody out there, Night of Hope coming up yes. August 11th. That's right. It's a big night. Um, we'll put this, We'll throw this in the chat over there, nightofhopeokc.com. There's still seats available, but they're going fast. Yeah, I mean, we're going to sell out. I know that for sure. And we're at 1,600 plus. It's, yeah. It holds 2,700. So go save your seats right now. Um, right now, if you're listening. IdahoOKC.com. You can register. You can register your youth group, by the way. This is a great back-to-school, uh, back-to-regular-schedule programming event, August 11th. Everybody's back in town from vacation. Bring your folks from a treatment center. Uh, maybe you got a small group. It's a great date night. It's really a worship night, and you get to hear Tim Tebow for free, mm-hmm. which is going to be amazing. Come we on. got all kinds of stuff planned. It's going to be lit. Yes. So don't miss it. Lit? Is that a word people use? I don't think that's cool anymore. It's lit. It's lit. So also stay tuned next Wednesday, like Lance said at the beginning, for a big announcement of a new addition to the lineup for Night of Hope. That's right. And thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for joining us live. This has been the Hope Dealers Podcast with Lance and Allison Lang. We'll see you soon.